Well, are you guys ready for the word this morning? Well, let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your great love. Lord, I thank you that we just had this opportunity to study your word and to, to, to still hear from you today, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you still speak to us. And this morning, I pray that our, our hearts would be ready to receive what you have for us. Lord, that we would not remain stagnant, that we would not remain, as some of the churches did, still uh, longing for milk when they should have been longing for, for real meat, for real food. And Lord, we want to be growing and learning. And I pray this morning that we will be doing that. Thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on here in the book of Hebrews. Um, if you remember last week when Pastor Joseph was ministering, um, it kind of started off that whole section in chapter 3 quoting from Psalm uh, 95. And we're going to read that a little bit later, but that's kind of where it starts. And it, it's where he begins to discuss God's rest, right? If you, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart like those in the wilderness did, and they weren't able to enter into God's rest. So what we saw was the Israelites, uh, they didn't get to enter God's rest. As a result, as we're going to find out of their unbelief, basically they heard the word of God. God was speaking to them. He said, this is what you need to do. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to get you in. And, and they hardened their hearts. And the first time it happened, right, they, they, were, they were told that, look, go into the land. I'll give you victory over all the inhabitants, and it's going to be yours. And they were afraid. They didn't believe what God said. And they hardened their hearts. And because of that, they were, they were forced to, to roam the wilderness for 40 days. And anybody that was alive at that time, they didn't actually get to enter. But it didn't stop there because you would think that that would be enough and say, all right, I'm not going to do this again. But all throughout that, they continued uh, to basically be a, a pain in God's butt, not listening to what he said, doing whatever they wanted to do. And every time he gets angry, and, and there, there are many that died in the wilderness because of that, all because of their hardness of heart, all because they didn't believe. And in Psalm 95, it says, I swore in my wrath that they would not enter into my rest. But we're going to see today, the thing is, is that God's rest is still available. It's not like he shut his rest down. You know what? They all screwed up. I'm done with them. It's done with. You know, one of the things that was interesting that Pastor Joseph mentioned this morning was this idea of, of you know, why did God let Adam sin? Because and it also says that Jesus was, was the, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And if you think about that, that doesn't make sense because that means that the plan for Jesus happened before creation even happened. That was already... In, so so the, the question is not why did God let Adam sin? It's knowing that Adam was going to sin because God wasn't surprised, right? He gave men and women free will to do what they want to do, but he wasn't shocked. It's not like he went, I can't believe they did that. He knew it was going to happen. We know this because he already had a plan in place before he even created the world. Do you understand what that means? That means he loved you so much that he knew this was all going to be a mess. And he cared about you so much that he still went through with his plan. He still suffered hurt. He still knew that his prophets were going to be rejected. He still knew that he was going to be rejected. Yet he still did it because of those of us who would say yes, who would respond in faith, and that's amazing. And because of that, that rest is still available today for us, and that's what we're going to see as we get started. Hebrews 4, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Sorry, chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, 
but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So to kind of understand where this is going, we do have to back up and think about the therefore part. Anytime you see a word like that, you need to back up a little bit and see what the heck he's therefore and about. So as I talked about, we just he just talked about the Israelites coming out of out of Egypt, but they had so much disobedience in their heart, and they hardened their heart that they, they didn't actually enter into what God had for them. A direct result of their disobedience when they weren't allowed to enter the promised land. And for 40 years after this, they continued to provoke God again and again and again. And many died in the wilderness. I mean, Moses got so frustrated with him, he provoked God and he didn't even get to go in. It was, it was such a difficult time. But what we had is, a, is this, this, this example that he gave as, as a people that heard God's word and instead of embracing it, they acted in rebellion with hardened hearts. That's what it says here. It says, look, they, they had a good message came to them, good news came to them just as it came to us, but they rejected that, that message. And he's referring to what is essentially a tragic story as you read through uh, those sections of the Old Testament and those books, a tragic story of a people that God wanted to have enter his rest, a people that God wanted to be with and to support. But we see just a tragic result of a people that turns their hearts away from God. But there's also good news in this little section here. We hear about their failure, but we also see that his rest still stands. That means his rest still remains. That's good news for us. It wasn't a one, one and done deal and it was all messed up and, and, and nobody gets to enter it. His rest still remains for us today. That means that Joshua, even though he finally took God's people into Canaan, into the land of, uh, their, their, their land of Israel, the promised land, even though he finally got them there, that means that what he did wasn't actually what God was referring to when he said, I wanted to lead them into my rest. But it also comes with a warning to us. So he says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still remains, so therefore, even though they messed up, while it still remains, it says, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The truth is, is there's a real concern that people will hear the message and still reject it. What he's saying here is that we should fear, or maybe another way to put it is we should take heed of God's word. We should hear what he's saying because there's a chance that we could respond in the same way. We could be the ones that are disobedient and harden our own hearts. When we hear God's word, when we hear the message, there's an opportunity for people to reject what God has to say. And the reality is, is that it, you don't have to look very far to see so many people that are doing that today. Not only are those who have heard the gospel for the first time, or maybe they've heard it their whole life, they've never responded in any other way but hardness. But as we're going to see later on, we have to be careful that we don't get lazy in our own faith because it's really easy to slip into a hardened heart if you're not careful. There are so many people that just like the Israelites, they've heard the good news. They've heard this, this good news that came to us. They have the same information, the same facts. They got the same thing and they responded differently. Have you ever wondered when you look at other people and you think, man, I heard the gospel message and it made me so joyful in my heart because God loved me 
in spite of everything I've done, he loved me and I just want to respond to him. And then other people respond in a completely different manner. They get the same information. They get the same facts. But somehow they respond differently. And I don't understand why those things happen. And that's the problem. They hear the good news, the same good news, but it doesn't benefit them because they respond differently. And today, the good news is being preached all across the world. And the question is, will it benefit us? And I'm not necessarily, when I say us in this context, I'm not talking about us in this room, us as Christians. I'm talking about people as a whole. Will it benefit us if we hear the gospel? Because the truth is, is day after day, the gospel is going out. People are hearing it over and over, and it's still not benefiting them. You know, it'd be like if somebody came and, and told you where a, uh, a chest was buried that had enough money into it that you could live your entire life, and they told you about it, and you went, eh, I don't want it. Or what if you're struggling in your, your, your marriage, and somebody said, you know what, if you'll do just this one thing, it'll fix your marriage. And you, you reject that advice, you reject that thing. You hear the good news, you hear the stuff that should benefit you, but you reject it, and it has no benefit for you at all. And like I said, the gospel is being preached every day around the world, and people are responding differently, and I just don't get it. When I look at the facts, when I look at the evidence, I'm like, how could you come to any other conclusion? And somebody will say, well, well it doesn't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Well, nothing is proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. You can look at the evidence for God throughout history, the evidence for Christ, the evidence for His resurrection. And there's plenty of evidence to, to say that this is what happened. But you can't prove it without a shadow of a doubt. But did you know that when you go to a courtroom, nothing is being proven. People give evidence. People give witness. They give testimony. And they say, I saw this person do this. And we, we take that evidence and we create a verdict in our own heart of what's happened. And the same thing when you look at the evidence for God, the evidence for Christ, the evidence for his resurrection. I don't know how you can come to any other conclusion that he lived and gave his life for us. But there are those who would hear it and they respond differently. The truth is, is I think most people aren't actually looking for the truth. Because if they evaluated the evidence and they came to the same conclusion, they would realize that their life has to change. And I think that's why many people reject God, but they're hearing the good news and they're responding differently. Instead of responding to the gospel message with faith and being united with all of us who have responded in faith, they respond with hardened heart and disobedience. And here's the reality. And it's the, some stuff that, that people don't like to talk about or people don't like to acknowledge. But if you don't respond with faith, you will fail to reach God's rest. There isn't any other way about it. Jesus is the only way to the Father. If you do not respond with faith to the gospel message, the only alternative is to fail. Now the truth is, I don't like to, to, to dwell on the failing because how many know it's good news, not bad news? That's why like, it drives me crazy when I see people, especially in the college campuses. When I used to go to the U of A, there would be people out on the, the mall there that's a big grassy area in the middle just talking about, I guess it used to be a grassy area. Now I think it's a big giant hole, right? They dug in there and put uh, 
uh, the different levels. But anyway, it used to be a big giant grass field all the way across that area. And there'd be guys out there just preaching fire and brimstone. Instead of telling people the good news about how that God loved them and he had a place for them and a way for them that they could spend eternity with him forever, that they could be righteous, they could be made right, their sins could be forgiven, he just went around and pointed at people telling them they're all going to hell. That's not good news. We're supposed to share the good news. And if we do, we give them an opportunity to respond with faith. And instead of failing to enter God's rest, they can be guaranteed entrance into his rest by grabbing hold of by faith. Amen? And then he continues on in chapter, uh, sorry, uh, verses 3 through 5. He says, For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. So the rest here that we're referring to is what was being spoken of in Psalm 95, 6-11. So I just want to read that real quick. It says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah or on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work." For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I want a couple things to note about this. One, when he's talking about this, you have to understand that what caused them not to enter God's rest was because they were disobedient. They provoked God for the entire 40 years. His rest was available to them. God had made a way. He had made it available, but they rejected it. Some people would say, why did God do this to them? But the reality is, is that God made a way for them. They rejected it. The same is with the gospel. Why would God send people to hell? The reality is he doesn't send anybody to hell. He made a way for them, but they rejected it. Some other things to note about this passage is that David wrote this psalm after Israel had entered into the promised land. They're already in Canaan. This is the, they've already gotten out of the wilderness. So this is after that time. So this, refess, ref, this rest that he's referring to when he says, if you, hear, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts today. So this day, this rest that he's talking about entering now, because they couldn't enter it before, it couldn't be the promised land, but it already happened. They were already there. So we know that the rest doesn't actually refer to just making it into this land that God promised to them. And that's also reiterated by the author here where he says, uh, talking about those who grasp it by faith, he says there, for we have believed into the rest. It's reiterated by the author that the rest has to be available because how could it not be available if that land was the rest... How could it not be available if we can grasp it today by faith? If those readers there could grasp it by faith. Those who believe are given the ability to enter his rest. It's not those who do all the right things. I mean, that's good news. Anybody here do all the right things all the time? I certainly don't. 
Good thing that's not what secures my entrance into his rest. It's not those who, who go to Bible study every week. It's not those who go to church every Sunday. How many of those are good things? You should be doing those things. That's how you grow. That's how you learn. When you don't do those things, it's really easy to slip away. But when you stay connected with the body of Christ, the people of God and his word, it's a lot harder to slip away. But none of those things is what makes you right with God. None of those things are what allows you to enter his rest. It says here that those who enter his rest is because they believed and they enter his rest. And this is a complete contrast to those who had gone astray in their heart. They rejected God, so they weren't able to enter it. And that's the thing is that the expectation was that the Israelites would have been able to enter his rest. God set it up so that they would be victorious. They would go into the land that was flowing with milk and honey. And the thing is, is this rest doesn't just refer to the land, though. It refers to the, uh, we're going to see later, it's kind of a, a heavenly rest. God had more planned for them for them just having a nice life in a new good land <laughs> that has all the stuff that they wanted. But because they couldn't even believe the little thing, getting into this land, they missed out on the whole thing. They missed out on his rest. They rejected God, even though the expectation from the very beginning was for them to get in. That's why the Bible says that God doesn't wish any to perish. The expectation is for everybody to say yes, for everybody to be free, for everybody to be forgiven, for everybody to spend eternity in heaven with him. That's the expectation. And that's the great news for us because his rest remains available for all who would believe the good news. And then when it talks about his works, he says, uh, those who believed entered in the wrath, but those who don't, as I swore in the wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. The works that he's referring to is when he created the earth and on the seventh day, he rested. That's the rest that we're supposed to enter into. A completion, a time with God with nothing more to do. The rest is just to spend time in his presence. And his rest, like I said, is still available today. Even though they weren't able to enter it. Just like he said over here, we have to take heed of his word so that we don't fall into the same camp of those who hear the good news but reject it. And then in verses 6 through 8, he continues on and says, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Once again, the, you ever notice that, that sometimes the Bible repeats stuff a lot? It's like the same message, verse after verse. Look, they didn't enter his rest because they, they, didn't have the, they didn't believe, they hardened their hearts. And he keeps reiterating this point, this idea that they had the rest available, but they rejected it. They had the opportunity, but... He reiterates that it remains for some to enter into it. This good news, you've got to remember that he's probably speaking to Jews and, and they saw what happened and they're wondering if that rest is still available and he's making it clear that yes, that rest is still available. 
the Israelites in that day were looking forward to this heavenly rest, but they missed it. And the good news for us is that things are laid out pretty clearly for us. They're going through this stuff. All right, the Israelites are going through it for the first time. We have it in hindsight. We can see what they did. That should be enough to teach us to do things the right way. It should help us stay out of trouble. Because the way to not enter his rest was so clearly recorded, it's disobedience, it's, it's, a, it's a failure to regard the word of God. But the point of this letter was to demonstrate that this heavenly rest has been secured in Jesus Christ. As we continue on to the book of Hebrews, you're going to see him transition to try to show us that this is secured in Jesus. And this today, as he speaks about, this today is long afterward. It happened so far after that the events actually happened in Canaan. And really the point is to demonstrate that this rest he's talking about isn't material. This rest he's talking about is not about getting some piece of land somewhere that, that the Israelites could live out the rest of their days. It wasn't about uh, uh, just material enjoyment and having that kind of life. It was so much more than that. And it's proven because if Joshua had given them rest, God would have no need to talk about a day in the future. But the day he's talking about, the today, how many know that's today? Tomorrow, that'll be today. Today is the day, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. There are people that are listening online, and maybe some people in this room that have heard this message before, and, and they've rejected it. Or they haven't fully uh, grasped it. The reality is, is you have a choice to make. You can reject the good news. Or you can receive it united in faith. The hope of God's people is an eternal heavenly rest. You know, I believe that when you get saved, you do get to, to enjoy the benefits of heaven even down here as you begin to trust God. But how many know your time on earth is short? So short in comparison with eternity. You don't want to be spending that away from God. You want to be in his rest. And you only have this short time on this earth to respond to that message to say yes. The promise of entering God's rest is not some span of land, but rather spending an eternity in heaven with him. And the promise of that has been secured in Christ. We no longer have to wonder anymore. And the verses. 9 through 10, he says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. The Sabbath rest I'm talking about is that heavenly rest that I was referring to. And this rest is kind of the logical conclusion to understanding that Josh, Joshua did not lead them into the rest. And that today is today. It's that today is after that event. It lets us know that it's not an earthly thing, but it is this Sabbath rest where we get to rest from our works just as God rests from His because it's done. But this rest looks so different than what the Jews were expecting. This rest that he's referring to is when God completed creation. All the work was done. How many know that when God created he, and, he said, and He rested on the seventh day, there wasn't something else He had to do? Next Monday, he wasn't like, oh, shoot, I forgot. Just one more thing. When he rested, he was done. There was no more work to be done, and that's the rest that we're promised. There will be no more work to be done. We get to spend it with him. 
this rest that is still waiting for you and I today. And as we said at the beginning of the series, we're not 100% sure who this was written to, but it's likely it was written to Jewish Christians. They would have been well acquainted with the rest that this author was talking about. And if you think about what they went through, their entire history was turmoil. Times of, 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 of good when they were right with God and times when they were being rejected by God because God, they had actually rejected God themselves. And their history is one about being sold into slavery and then being pulled out and then cast into Babylon and then being pulled out. It's just, this, the whole history is turmoil. Imagine that they, if, if you were them, imagine how much you would be looking forward to this rest. Imagine how comforting that would be to enter the rest of God. And they thought it was going to be some land that God was going to separate apart from them. But the reality is it was so much greater than just being able to live a peaceful life on some land with God taking care of you. Now that's good. I want to live a peaceful life. I want God to be there with me taking care of things. But that's so minuscule compared to an eternity with him. In addition, imagine these Jewish Christians as early Christians what they're facing. The persecution. The people that are trying to kill them. Even their own people were trying to kill them. And then as time went on, we see the Romans wanted to kill them and everybody wanted to kill them. Think how comforting it would have been to the early Christians to know that even though times were tough now, that God's rest was waiting for them. How many know that should be hope for you? Now, I, I understand that life isn't perfect. The truth is, life here in the United States, the worst of us have it so much better than many other Christians. But even what we go through, you should have hope knowing that even if you are going through tough times and you have suffered, and I'm not saying people in the United States don't ever suffer hard times. We certainly do. As a generality, we have it better. But there's certainly hard times. We lose jobs. We lose loved ones. We deal with all kinds of stuff. Sickness. But know that even though times can sometimes be tough, you have a greater hope to look forward to. You know, we, we believe that, that, that God is with us and he will see you through every situation and there's light on the other side. But even if there wasn't, even if it was never going to get better, even if it was only going to get worse, you have a hope at the end to enter his rest. This short period of time is just something small that will be done with soon. And you have a hope but this rest is only available to the people of God. Those who don't reject His Word. Those who don't reject the good news. Now the great news for us is that initially the Jews rejected this offer of the good news and because of that it was made available to the Gentiles. They initially rejected God's offer so now it's available to all. Church, we need to make sure that we're not rejecting the same offer, amen? And then in verse 11 it says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now this is an interesting passage to me. Because it says, Therefore we have to strive to enter that rest. And you might say, Well that doesn't make sense because right here it says, For we who have believed enter that rest. So how can we be in that rest because we believe but then we have to strive to enter that rest? Anybody ever read this stuff and wonder what the heck is it talking about? That doesn't make any sense. I thought I just said we were already in that rest. 
The reality is, is both are true. <laughs> the moment that you believe, you are the full recipient of God's promise to enter his rest. You are the full recipient of God's promise of inheritance. You are the full recipients of God's promise of holiness and righteousness. But there's also the reality that in our lives, we don't always experience in our earthly bodies what is a reality in our spiritual ones. It's kind of like the reality that when you're saved, you are completely free from the bondage of sin. 100%. When you get saved, you're free from the bondage of sin because Jesus did enough. What he did was sufficient. But sometimes we still sin. So if we're free from sin, which is what the Bible says, how can it be that sometimes we still sin? And it's because it takes a while sometimes for our earthly bodies to catch up to the reality of what has happened in the heavenly, what has happened in our spirit. So if we still sin, does that mean that we're not free? Absolutely not. The promise is true. God's word is true. Same thing about uh, your health. When we pray, the Bible says that by his stripes we are made whole. But sometimes we still get sick. And there's a difference between the truth and the facts of the situation. The truth is, you are whole. The Bible says that you are whole. That is a promise by God. God does not lie. But sometimes we still get sick. Because the fact is at the moment you might be sick, but the truth is you're healed. Because that's what God's word says. So the reality is, is that sometimes we have to strive for those promises that God has already made for us. That's why the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven uh, suffers violence and violent men take it by force. Sometimes you have to be a little violent and take hold of those promises because there's a world that doesn't want you to have them. So we should strive towards that freedom of sin in our lives. We should strive towards that promise of health in our lives. And the author here is saying that we should strive to enter the rest that has been promised to us. He wants us to strive to obtain what is already ours through the promise, even though we might not be experiencing it. And then there's also a warning attached to that, that if we don't, if we don't strive to enter that rest, there's a possibility that we'll fall into that same disobedience. The reality is, is that if we become lazy in our walk with God, if we become lazy in our faith, in our spiritual walk, it's really easy to slip up and fall into disobedience. I'm sure many of you have seen that happen to people in your own lives. And the truth is, is that you may even see it happening in your life sometime. That's why you got to take those thoughts captive. That's why you got to pay attention to what's going on. That's why you need to strive to enter into that rest and not become lazy. Because it's easy to slip into disobedience. And the one thing that we can know by seeing it over and over and over in the Bible is that the disobedient fail and the disobedient fall. We should think about the lessons that we learned from the Israelites so we don't make the same mistakes. That's what the Scripture's good for, is to t teach us not to do the same things. You know, if this was just some book trying to tell a good story, they'd only put the good stuff in. they never put the failures in. But God in His wisdom put the failures in too so that way we can learn from them and not make the same mistakes. And the great news, and one of the things that, that was eye-opening for me is that if you're not careful, you can get into this work-based mentality that, oh, i, I got to strive and work for everything. 
And somehow you, you begin to, to think that your salvation, your freedom, your health, entering his rest is all based on your striving and your working, and that's not what it's about. The great news about faith is that if you'll put your faith in him and you'll spend time in his word reading it, then what naturally follows is obedience. You don't have to hit the checklist anymore. It's what naturally flows out of you as you're being changed by his word. It's not about a list of checkboxes to fulfill. It's about pressing into him. Striving for his rest is about developing a relationship with him, spending time in your word, spending time in prayer. When you do these things, outflowing of you will naturally come obedience to his word because you love him. You want to be like him and you become to know him more and more every day. Keeping strong in your spiritual walk and strengthening your faith daily. And if you do these things, you'll naturally be moving towards his rest. Not about a list of all the things I can do or can't do. When you're walking hand and foot with God, you don't need a list to tell you those things. I think, in the, I think it's in the book of Colossians it talks about walking in step with the Spirit. And it's this idea, when I was in the army, when we walked in step, I mean the entire platoon walked with the same steps. We walked together as one, and that's what it is about walking in step with the Spirit or walking in step with God. If you're pressed into Him, you'll find your steps are the same as Him. You don't need the checklist anymore of what's, what's good and what's bad. It'll flow out of you, or what, you, what He is making you, what you're transforming into because of His Word. And the writer finally ends in verses 12 through 13. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's word is powerful. God's word is living and it's active and it's working in us. It's not just like a book you pick up and you just simply read. The Bible actually has power. The word of God has power. It's not something you simply read, but it actually changes you. It transforms you if you read it in faith. That's why I talk about one of the greatest things for Christians to do is to Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Because if you'll do those things, you'll notice your life change naturally. And I can tell you in my own life, I see a difference when I'm not spending as much time in the Word as I should be. Because His Word has the power to change you. And His Word is full of power and it must be heeded. It's not something that we can reject. The Israelites rejected God's Word and it cost them. We want to make sure that it doesn't cost us because it is, and also because it's living and active, it applies to us today just as much as it applied to the Israelites back then. This isn't some book that only had application several thousand years ago. But it is living, it is active. It has just as much application as to, to us today as it did to them. One of the things that I, I recognize is that people don't change, just technology does. The way we live our life is different, but people are the same. We still have the same hang-ups, the same issues, we act out differently because we have different technology, but the reality is, is we're the same and we still need the same Savior. It is still applicable to us today. And here's the thing about His Word. It says that it's sharper 
than any two-edged sword. The Word of God penetrates all your facades. It penetrates the best face you put forward. The reality is, is you can't fake a response to God's Word. I mean, you can on the outside, right? You can come to church every day, do all the right things. But His Word is penetrating through all your facade, all your faking it. We can't come before God and fool Him. The truth is, is that one day we will stand and give an account. So it says here, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We're going to give an account one day and nothing is going to be hidden. You won't be able to make excuses or justifications. You're not going to be able to deceive God. The truth is, is you can deceive the people around you. And you just might for a really long time, but when you stand before God, all that falls away. His word separates all that. You won't be able to deceive him, and your response to the gospel will be made plain. But the good news is this. His word is powerful and transformative. If you'll respond to his word in faith, it'll change you. Now, many people, like I said earlier, they're afraid of that. They're not actually looking for the truth because if the Word of God is true, they would have to change how they live their lives. But it doesn't matter if you believe it's true or not. It is true. You will stand before God one day and you will give an account. And the question that's going to be asked is, how did you respond to the good news of the gospel? The great news is you don't have to do anything on your own. You don't have to, to, to somehow meet some level of expectation. You just have to simply put your trust in Him. And if you respond with faith, instead of disbelief, disobedience, hardness of heart, rejection, then you're going to respond naturally with obedience and begin walking in His promises. Church, if you'll Listen to his word and unite it with faith. The account that you're going to give one day, it's going to be a good one. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.